Hello and welcome to the Why Behind the What. My name is Nathan Albert, and as always, I am so glad you are listening to this podcast today, taking time away from what you're doing to spend it with me virtually over this podcast. This season, we've been looking at ancient contemplative spirituality for today's transformation. And this has been a fun and exciting season for me, and I hope uh, it's been restorative and refreshing to you as well. For me, when faith stopped working, when prayers didn't seem to be answered, when church seemed like this weird conglomerate of nothing, when people within the church hurt and wounded, uh, when it didn't seem like faith mattered that much anymore, it was the ancient and it was the contemplative that revived my faith, healed my soul, and brought me into greater awareness and union with the divine. It's my hope that if you've been on a similar journey, that you have found these ancient and contemplative practices to be a way to transform your soul as well. Now, in previous episodes, we've talked about silence and solitude, centering prayer, Lexio Divina, breath prayer, journaling, fixed hour prayer, disconnecting from technology. And all of these are ways that we might open ourselves up to God and become aware of the divine's presence all around us. And really, we've only scratched the surface on each of these topics. Uh, Entire books and teachings that are way more in-depth than these short podcast episodes are out there, and I encourage you, if, if one strikes a chord, to go out and do some research on it. Because there's so much more we could talk about, too. I mean, we could talk about fasting and Sabbath, examine, self-awareness, confession, creation. But today, in episode 10, I want to share with you where all this has led me personally and invite you into some new language. Much of this uh, comes from a blog series that I wrote last year, which was the start for me of some thoughts that I had that I finally was able to find some words for. And so I fleshed that out. Uh, and want to share that with you. I've saved this episode for last because, or towards the end, I should say, because it's been more difficult uh, to write and wrap my head around. I honestly think uh, an entire book can be written on the subject, but I have a toddler and a little baby, and I don't have time to write a book. Uh, So if anyone wants to be my ghostwriter out there, and we can get this published, let's do it. Just don't steal my ideas. Give me credit, all right? Uh, But this entire season, we've talked about ancient contemplative spirituality that really stems from different Christian traditions. And for me, it's made me realize that there is such a richness and a depth to the larger Christian tradition. This ancient faith is actually bigger and better than one church tradition or one brand or one style of Christianity. And when we fully embrace this ancient faith with all its flaws, with all its idiosyncrasies, all its traditions, all its diversity, it's actually quite beautiful. Practicing this ancient spirituality has allowed me to discover and develop a new identity. I now often say that I'm a contemplative ecumenical. And on this episode, I want to invite you to join me in becoming a contemplative ecumenical. Now, when it comes to religious traditions, I'm a bit of a theological mutt. Let me give you some background. So I've had quite a lot of religious identities, per se, over the years. I grew up in a pretty conservative Lutheran uh, 
family and denomination. Half my extended family, from cousins and aunts and uncles, half of them were Missouri Synod. The other half was ELCA. And if you know anything about the Lutherans, that is some, that's a family feud right there. Also half of my family, get this, half of them were Chicago White Sox fans, while the other half, the, the, the sad half, the, the shunned half actually, they were Chicago Cub fans. So again, family feuds. But in high school, I became a more conservative Baptist um, because I was invited to attend a Baptist youth group. For a while, I think I faked being a Catholic when I needed to, you know, once in a while. I spent years in non-denominational and evangelical Protestant churches, uh, some multi-ethnic, uh, some very traditional, all some very seeker-sensitive, contemporary fog machines, uh, denomination-type churches. Uh, for a while, uh, I thought I might be a Pentecostal. Maybe you could even say I'm, I'm probably like a shy Pentecostal, actually, uh, to this day. I was eventually ordained in a pietistic denomination, uh, and I love the pietistic history and that, and that tradition. Currently, I work as a chaplain at a university that was founded by a mainline Protestant denomination. And as you know, I've recently been attending an Episcopal church. Whew! There it is. A church mutt, you could say. Or simply a classic Protestant evangelical who doesn't know what he believes. You could call me that too. But actually, I think being ecumenical runs deep in my bones. And it's an identity I want to embrace and one that I want to develop more deeply and boldly. Now, for a long time, I did. I identified as an evangelical. Uh, but these days, I find that term no longer meaning what it once meant. Perhaps you resonate with this. Now, the term evangelical comes from the Greek euangelion, which means gospel or simply good news. Something the world needs a lot more of, quite frankly. And the Protestant faith tradition that took on this, evange this evangelical adjective, it's full of passionate people willing to share their hope for the world. They're, they emphasize spiritual awakening. They desire individual and communal transformation and justice. They honor the authority and, um, and honor these ancient texts and scriptures of their tradition. They work for justice and have a longing to bring people into a dynamic faith and a loving community. Now, from that, I mean, I can get on board with that. I mean, this is the best of what evangelical could and should be. But here's the problem that I've seen within the last few years. To a lot of people I've talked with, evangelical doesn't mean that type of faith anymore. Instead, evangelical is synonymous with fundamentalists, anti-women, anti-LGBTQ, uh, and just plain anti-nice or anti-decent. And now, for example, when it's known that 81% of white evangelicals voted for a particular political candidate that makes outlandishly racist, sexist, xenophobic remarks, it sends a message, whether we realize it or not, that evangelicals not only support that, but maybe are that too, that they're white conservative, racist, sexist, and xenophobic. And as there's this stronger and stronger connection, partnership, and even identification between evangelicals and one particular political party, when nationalism, patriotism, militarism, all creeps into evangelicalism to almost the point of idolatry, 
there continues and will continue to be a movement of empty the pews. That's a hashtag on Twitter for those of you who don't know. Uh, But it's also a reality that people are leaving this type of faith by droves and droves. I've heard so many comments from friends that have made their way to a church. And it's hip. It's cool. It's got that palette wall decor. And it's got the hipster vibe. And there are tattoos and piercings. And there's young families. Uh, and they all say everything is, everyone is welcome. And they put on a really good show on Sundays. But eventually they find out that there are a bunch of uh, conditions for who can attend or who can be involved. And the church really isn't open or honest about certain theological beliefs. And so although it's hipster, it's really not a safe community for them anymore. Uh, to them, it's become this fundamental church uh, that's just got a nice facade. And at some point, uh, or at this point, I should say, uh, some of you are nodding your head. You're like, yes, this was my experience. I am so over. Bible banging, fire and brimstone churches that just look more hip because they have skinny jeans. And while others of you probably are disagreeing with me and saying, well, I'm not like that and my church isn't like that. Now, I hope that's true. And that might be true. But we at least have to acknowledge that this is how many people in this current climate think of evangelicals. To them, evangelicals aren't announcing good news or or telling a better story or sharing hope or uh, working for equity or um, honoring and working for the common good of all people. The term evangelical has become tainted in this culture, and it's no longer working the way it once worked. It doesn't mean what it originally meant. And sure, we can try to reclaim it, and I know many individuals who are trying to do that and are working to do that, Uh, And I'm thankful for their work. But I really think the ship has sailed on this one. I see more and more people who once identified as evangelical, who are now seeking and longing for something new, and they feel utterly lost in the world of religion, that they don't have a place anymore, and they're uh, kind of lost at sea just hoping that they can find a place that is for them. So I don't think we should reclaim this word. I think we should find a new term and form a new type of community. And friends, lucky for you, that's what I'm trying to do by turning this word ecumenical into a noun and claim it as our identity. I think the phrase contemplative ecumenical might be a great term that embodies the ancient spiritual practices we've been talking about and what the Jesus tradition is all about. It enables us to tell a great and hopeful story, one that I think people are longing to hear. Now, I'm not going to define contemplative here. I mean, we talked about that earlier in in the first couple episodes. If you want to go back as a refresher, I define contemplative and what that means there. But being a contemplative is becoming aware of the divine that is all around us. Um, It's an awareness, it's an awakening, and these practices that we've been talking about help us to get there. But so now I want to focus a little bit more on ecumenical. Now as an adjective, ecumenical means promoting unity, uh, promoting oneness among the world's Christian churches and traditions. So it seeks cooperation and better understanding among the different Christian traditions. So it values the beauty of diversity, 
Uh, it names and embraces our differences. It sees everyone as members of the same community, all the while not letting these differences and diversity bring division. A lofty goal, I know. Now, ecumenical also comes from the Greek, uh, oikemene, which can mean the whole inhabited earth or the whole inhabited world. And it's used a handful of different ways uh, in the Christian scriptures and texts. And many branches of Christianity have used it to denote the Catholic or the universal nature of the church. Now, I found that ecumenicalism is this movement back, I think, to the essentials, back to the apostolic faith, back to the affirmations of the early Nicene and Apostles' creeds, back to the elements that actually did and still do unite all of us, and back to the ancient practices and spiritual practices that open us up to spiritual transformation today. There's this uh, story of Jesus of Nazareth Uh, that just before he was executed, he prayed for a bunch of people. And for those people who would come after him, which would include us, he prayed this prayer that despite our differences, we might be one. He didn't pray that we would be theologically correct in all our doctrines, or we would agree on everything, or that we would all be in the same church and worship the same way, or we'd evangelize everyone, or we would have the truth and other people wouldn't, or that we all think the same way, or that we would all pray and worship the same way. No, he prayed an ecumenical prayer over all the followers that would come after him. He prayed that we all would be one so that... There's, you know, conditions so that all people, all people will know the divine loves them and that Jesus was sent as the visible embodiment of this invisible divine love. Oh, does that blow your mind a little? It does mine. I mean, I love this passage and I love this idea. How people will know that the divine being, that God is love, is by people, you and me, being one. Not tolerating one another, but truly embracing one another. That's how this incarnation of the divine, the the visible love, will continue when we become and live as ecumenicals. Now, as I've alluded to before, This wasn't what I was taught in my Christian upbringing and my faith communities. Oneness among the entire Christian tradition was not an esteemed value. Instead, I was taught that my tradition, the one that I was, my one church style, was better than all the other false ones that were out there. And what's funny is I heard this message in every tradition that I was a part of, whether I was Lutheran or Baptist or Evangelical I heard that other traditions were wrong, that those other Christian traditions were wrong and we were right and we knew the truth and other people didn't and they were unorthodox and we were the orthodox one. And because they weren't like us, well, really they had no business being with us and no place with us. This is such divisive hubris. I mean, just ridiculous. And additionally, Particular spiritual practices or rhythms, most of what, most of what we've been talking about in this series, that, that, that they seem too Catholic or too Orthodox or too traditional, well, they had no place in our spiritual lives. And what deeply saddens me when I look back over many of the churches that I've been a part of 
is that in an effort to be uniquely relevant, especially in many of the contemporary evangelical communities that I've been a part of, we stripped away so many spiritual practices and rhythms and liturgies, again, these ancient and contemplative practices, that we ended up losing richness, depth, beauty, mystery, and we became irrelevant. Thomas Merton, he's one of my favorite authors, and if you haven't read him, you should go read every book he's ever written. He's incredible. But he has this passage that I think summarizes uh, kind of my former attitude towards the broader Christian tradition. He speaks um, in context of these the dangers of individualism and and religion and, and creeping in together and, and the divisive nature we have to other faith traditions. And I think this passage uh, kind of speaks to the dangers of not living as an evangelical, like what we miss out on if we don't live this way. But he says this in, in the book, um, Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander. He says, the more I am able to affirm others, to say yes to them in myself by discovering them in myself and myself in them, the more real I am. I am fully real if my own heart says yes to everyone. I will be a better Catholic, not if I can refute every shade of Protestantism, but if I can affirm the truth in it and still go further. Merton goes on, he says, if I can affirm myself as a Catholic merely by denying all that is Muslim, Jewish, Protestant, Hindu, Buddhist, etc., in the end, I will find that there is not much left for me to affirm as a Catholic, and certainly no breath of the spirit with which to affirm it. I think Merton nails it on the head here, that as ecumenicals, as Christians, those of us who identify in this way, that we are not fully human, we're not living as we are truly meant to live, that we are not as real as we might be if we don't affirm the truth within the tradition. So if you've been with me so far, I hope you're getting that urge to live as a contemplative ecumenical. Now, I think being an ecumenical means viewing the Christian church as a diamond, that we acknowledge and appreciate every facet of the diamond rather than thinking like the unpolished parts need to be removed or only one facet, the one that gleans the brightest, that's the one we spend our most time looking at. What I want to do is hold this diamond in my hand, move it around, look at each facet, be in awe of the facets that catch my eye and reflect the beauty of God's light uh, and impact my soul. And that's been my hope with this podcast too, introducing you to different facets, different truth and light within each tradition. And being an ecumenical means we value the richness and the mystery and the uniqueness of each tradition within our great tradition. It means we acknowledge that there's not always going to be unanimity, but we're okay with that because we know that unity doesn't require uniformity. It means that we may not always be right and that we don't have the corner uh, on truth, but we are open to letting each tradition influence our own story and experience and, and spiritual vitality. It means we remember and we live as if, as if we're actually a family. And as the scriptures remind us, just as an ear says to the eye, I have no need for you, 
We in one tradition can't say to another, I have no need for you. Instead, we work together, trusting that we are more than our specific and particular tradition, even if sometimes people within our tradition act in unchristian ways. See, when you're an ecumenical, you can honor, you can respect, you can even practice spiritual rhythms from the whole Christian church. Because it's not simply about coexisting, because we already do that without much effort. I mean, we, we coexist simply because we do exist. It's about embracing, not simply tolerating our religious diversity. And it's about incorporating the best of the tradition and anchoring ourselves in the contemplative within this tradition. And this, as Merton says, I think this makes us fuller Christians. I think this makes us more real. I also think there's an interfaith component to this that I think as Christians, we can honor all religious traditions. We can learn from them, respect them, and see the good within each of them, realizing that there are some major differences, but that doesn't make us um, engage in war and a battle. Merton hints at this passage. Merton points, points this out in his passage as well. And I think it is so refreshing to see other religious traditions, not as enemies, not people to debate or lost ones we need to convert, but instead friends with whom we can converse. Again, not enemies we convert, but friends with whom we can converse. I've become pretty passionate about this because incorporating these ancient contemplative spiritual practices in my life, which find their origins in multiple Christian traditions, some of which were not in my upbringing or or not um, very common to me. They've given me a greater compassion and a greater appreciation for Christianity, for the entire faith, because it's also revived my faith. And it's literally, I think, saved and healed my soul and my heart. And as I continue to work in multi-faith and interfaith communities and diverse Christian communities, I continue to be utterly inspired and refreshed and and find it so restorative to see the breadth and depth, uh, not only of our faith, the Christian faith, but of multiple different faiths. It's made me realize that the spiritual life is greater than I hoped, and it's incredibly humanizing. It's full of compassion. It's full of beauty, and it allows me to see people in that same way. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to share this podcast with you. I wanted to introduce you, uh, no matter where you are, that a faith can be richer. It can be more experiential. It can be more mystical, uh, rather than just being a bunch of rules or strict moralism or a boring, okay, boomer type of traditional church. It can be richer and deeper and fuller. I'm pretty sure I shared this before, but for me as a contemplative ecumenical, I worship a lot with gospel music. I love it. I do the daily office or fixed hour prayer with the Episcopal Church's Book of Common Prayer. I pray through the use of icons similar to the Orthodox Church. And we have, oh man, we haven't even talked about icons yet. That's another ancient practice. Oh my goodness. Um... I try to spend 10 to 20 minutes a day in centering prayer and meditation as practiced by many Catholics and many other religions that are are not Christian practice meditation. I study sermons like a good evangelical, but I also think communion or the Eucharist 
is the best sermon. It's actually better than the best preacher could ever preach. And I read as many authors uh, as possible who are not from my upbringing, my tradition, nor are they of the same race and gender as me. And these things, I do these things so I might be a fuller Christian, a realer Christian, one who affirms all, uh, one who honors all, and one who sees the divine in all. So here's what I'm really saying. I mean, if you're thinking about planning a church that plays a lot of Kirk Franklin and Fred Hammond, and you guys follow the liturgy and do the church seasons and you do weekly communion and you have space in your service for like 15 or 20 minutes of silence and meditation and you have a bunch of cool icons in the sanctuary, do it. Plant that thing. That would give me so much life and I would tithe you all my money. It's not a lot, but I would tithe it like crazy. I would be your best volunteer. Maybe maybe we should just all get together and plant that church, huh? But being an ecumenical, as we've discussed, it means we pursue and we embrace the contemplative. We practice that which will bring us near to the divine and, and allow us to see glimpses of the divine in all things around us. But it also means that we balance our contemplation with our action. Our contemplation becomes the catalyst for our action. Being with the divine then compels us to do for the divine, for our neighbor, for the world, for the common good. Meister Eckhart, he was this German mystic living and writing in the 12 and 1300s. He said, no, no person, even if they are given to a life of contemplation, cannot refrain from going out and taking an active part in life. Those who are given to the life of contemplation and avoid activities deceive themselves and are on the wrong track. The contemplative person, he goes on to say, should contemplate, but afterward, they should get busy, for no one can or should engage in contemplation all the time, for an active life is to be a respite from contemplation. I love this. As contemplative ecumenicals, we experience contemplative practices so we can, as Eckhart puts it, get busy. And so for me, being an a contemplative ecumenical means that we practice and we pursue justice and equity and inclusivity and we name and we dismantle racism and racist systems, that we pursue and work to end white supremacy that we create equitable spaces wherever we find ourselves, that we renounce war and violence and we work to overcome poverty and we protect and we care for all of creation. We respect animals and the way they're treated. We pursue spiritual, emotional, and physical health. We are a voice for the voiceless or a voice for those silenced by a powerful oppressor. We build a greater understanding of our neighbors. We partner with other traditions and other faith traditions and even organizations who are doing similar work for the common good rather than competing with them and combating them. And, I mean, for goodness sake, being an ecumenical means we got to stop all this in-house fighting and bickering and blaming and belittling those who think differently than us. And this, I mean, here's the rub. This is the hard part. This is no doubt about it. I mean, I will admit I have a pretty bad, pretty bad track record with this. As I've alluded to for many years, I thought it was my job to bash other traditions rather than embrace them or honor them or respect them. And I think we can be real that our religious and our political atmosphere has made it way simpler uh, to demonize and dehumanize and defriend and cancel people 
than it is to be in relationship with people who think a little differently than us. And so being an, an ecumenical means having the humility and the, the gracious freedom, though, to realize that we don't have to have the whole faith tradition figured out yet, and that maybe we are wrong about a few things here and there, and that just because someone thinks differently than you or me, that doesn't mean that person is a heretic. And being a contemplative ecumenical means trusting that the divine, that God's and God's self has been and still is on the move, that the divine is making all things new, and this divine being continues to be up to something good in our world. And so as contemplative, contemplative ecumenicals, we get to get on board with that, keeping up with the movement of spirit and allow ourselves to be surprised by what spirit will do. Now that might make us a little uncomfortable, but it also is going to be an incredible ride, a freeing ride actually, where we can actually loosen our grip a bit and enjoy the experience. I don't know about you, but I, I, this gives me a little hope. I mean, this speaks pretty deeply to my soul and I think I'm all in. And I think it could be cool to see a movement of people identifying themselves and embracing others as contemplative ecumenicals. You know, we'd start these first ecumenical church of such and such city. Probably not. We, we probably wouldn't do that. But a movement of contemplative ecumenicals who are living in ancient faith and experiencing glimpses of the divine, being transformed by this God today, and working to do the same transformation in our world uh, today. So maybe I'm not a church mutt or an evangelical who doesn't know what he believes, or or maybe I'm just not one branch of the Christian tradition. And maybe you've come to the point where you don't identify that way either, that being a Lutheran or an uh, evangelical or a Protestant or a Catholic, that identity actually is too small for you. Maybe there's something better for all of us. Maybe I'm a contemplative ecumenical, and maybe you are too. And maybe we'll all together join in this mysterious, contemplative, and transformational way of life. It's my hope. It's my hope that we can fall in love, not with one particular church tradition or style, but with one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. It's my hope that we can stand in awe, not of one particular church tradition, but in awe of our great, historic, and huge tradition. It's my hope we can practice the faith not only with a few Christians who think like us, but with the depth and fullness and wholeness that is Christianity. It's my hope we can experience not one aspect of God, but that we see glimpses of God all around us at countless times throughout our days. And it's my hope we can practice ancient and contemplative spirituality, which revives our faith, heals our souls, and transforms our lives. Friends, I thank you for listening so much to this podcast. This is one of those fun projects for me uh, that I enjoy doing. It's been a creative outlet for me, but to know that people are actually listening more than me and my wife and my parents, you know, that more people are, I mean, that's just encouraging because usually I'm just sitting here in my basement talking into a microphone. So it is 
it's really cool to know that uh, there are others, others out there uh, doing this with me. I hope you found this podcast helpful wherever you find yourself on your, this spiritual journey. And I hope these practices have done what we've talked about, that they've revived your faith or maybe started to heal your soul, or maybe you're noticing that things are being transformed, even if it is a little bit. And maybe, just maybe, that it's giving you some hope that the spiritual life and the Christian faith is better than many of us were taught, greater than we hope, deeper than we think, and more mysterious than we can imagine, yet utterly essential for our souls. If you if you have enjoyed this, please could you leave a short review on iTunes? It'll only take a couple of minutes. Give it some stars, write a sentence or two. I'll give you a shout out on a podcast uh, if you leave a review. Again, that forces the algorithm to push this podcast so others can see it. And you probably have friends who have had a similar experience as me or you. Uh, and if that's the case, I hope you'll share this podcast with them. Uh, word of mouth works wonders. So spread the word, recommend it to others. But I really do believe that if we live our lives in these ways, uh, if we live out these contemplative practices, things can be transformed. And I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in countless other friends' lives. Um, and I think when we start living these out, we'll start experiencing life and having life to the fullest. So please share it on social media, spread word. If you've got questions or comments or want more information on any of these practices we've been talking about or even um, more information, uh, please reach out to me. I, I'd love to do some episodes on answering your questions uh, and digging in a little deeper if needed. Finally, feel free to subscribe to my newsletter on my website, nathanalbert.com. You can get some updates on uh, podcast seasons. You can get updates on some of my writing. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram if you want to find me there. As always, this podcast was written and recorded on Monacan land. And so friends, as you live as contemplative ecumenicals, as you practice an ancient spirituality that, that has the ability to transform you today, and as you see glimpses of the divine all around you, may you have peace, may you have calm, may you have happiness. Happiness.